0: Today's program, made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Now, while he's technically not in the film or music industry, he does have no less an int- interesting and intriguing person to, uh, to talk to. His visits to Swinging London in the 60s through the 80s helped to make connections in the industry, including executives at record companies. This led to some fascinating experiences that we hope to explore, as well as listen to some terrific cues as well. So I hope uh, all of you will please join me in welcoming Ian McDonald to the program. Hi, Ian. Hi, Frank.
1: Thank you for calling me in. It's uh, nice to be here.
0: Oh, I, I'm delighted. Uh, uh, full disclosure, I mean, Ian and I are Facebook friends, although we've never really met or talked until today, which is kind of nice, but uh, but we kind of know each other a little bit through our Facebook connections, and so I'm uh, looking forward to learning more about Ian and, and and also his tastes in music. Now, I will give a warning to my listeners. um yeah, this is going to be kind of a John Barry love fest. But uh but, but 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 don't don't be discouraged even if you're not the biggest James uh John Barry fan like we are. There's going to be some other uh cues that we'll play today and we're going to talk about film music in general, so I think there's something for everybody today. Um Ian, I usually love to start off to learn a more about the person that we're talking to, so I'm wondering if you could Kind of give us a mini bio and just kind of tell us about yourself, of uh, you know, family, growing up, and, uh, and things like that in your career uh, up until, uh, but not anything film music related, but just all the kind of personal things that uh, involve you, kind of growing up and career and stuff like that.
1: Okay. Well, uh, initially, in the first uh, twelve years of my life, I lived in uh, North London in a place called Holloway. Um. And that is where, uh, as a child, uh, a 12-year-old, um, I first got introduced, believe it or not, to John Barry's music. Uh, I used to watch a TV program on a Saturday night called Six Five Special, which I think some of the right. scenes of the group will, will remember, uh, right. with a drum beat and a boy on which there was this band that I took a, quite a liking to, um, and of course that was the John Barry Seven, or as it was known then, John Barry and the Seven and uh i just got hooked um and it's one of those things when people ask you how did you get hooked on this it's a question i can't really answer because i don't know why but i just did and i seem to follow that career um from then until now and i'm still following it uh obviously john's not with us anymore sadly but the music <laughs> is still alive and there's still things hopefully to look forward to but those uh, first 12 years of my life uh were well, followed by um, moving uh, home to a place called Middlesex, uh, where I did most of my schooling. And that is where I left school and then first followed uh, employment, um, mainly in the uh, magazine and then later national newspaper industry. Um, I had an avid interest interest in the music. And, and, and during the, the course of my, shall we say, growing up, um, I got heavily into uh, to the, the Barry Seven, but then uh, this guy called Adam Faith came along, and mm-hmm. I was rather attracted to the accompaniment, and of course that was our, our friend John Barry. And uh, I followed Adam Faith quite, quite uh, keenly, and of course I, at the same time I still uh, acquired in my collection all the John Barry singles um, that came out. I should
0: say, by the way, you know, to our, uh, our, our listeners that are outside of the UK, you're talking about some mega stars in the UK in the uh, '50s and the '60s. When you're talking about like Adam Faith uh, and the John Barry Seven was hugely popular. Uh, sure. So this was no small potatoes. It, it was it was kind of localized to the UK, but, uh, but nonetheless, the very big stars, right? I mean, that's right,
1: absolutely, yeah. And of course, uh, latterly after they uh, play the Favrehead, number number one hits and several uh, hits in a hit parade, John um, Barry. He uh he went into movies with a film called Beat Girl, which uh, everyone knows is probably the first major film assignment that John Barry had, and it's still to this day a very iconic album. Um still one that I play on a regular basis um, wow.
0: and
1: enjoy. And, um yeah, there that, that seemed to get me on a roller coaster not only of following John Barry's career, but also from getting into film music in general, because around that time there were a lot of T radio programs that featured film themes. And two themes which I grew up with, which I very passionately love now. Uh, one is the theme from The Big Country, which was composed by Jerome Moros. Um, regularly played on a BBC radio request program on a Sunday lunchtime. and. Okay. Uh, I got into that quite heavily, and I, that, that seemed to get me an intro and got me even more interested in the film music. And at okay. that time, after that time, there was uh, another one that uh, had a special place in my memory, which was Elmer Bernstein's thing from The Great Escape. And it has a special memory because I went to see the film when I was about 16.
0: Well, I tell you, Ian, if I may, we're, those are some cues that we're going to play later on.
1: Right. Oh, okay. Um,
0: and so let's let's wait and talk about those when we get to those particular clue, uh, cues, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on them.
1: Okay.
0: But, uh, what I'm going to do is, because you, you've mentioned it so prominently, I thought we would start off with uh, uh, playing a cue from the John Barry 7 which uh, you said really demonstrated a lot of interesting things about Barry's talent. Uh, the cue I'm talking about is called Black Stockings. I don't believe it's from a film, but it is a, no, a hit record of, of the of the John Barry Seven. Tell us a little bit about wanting to include that as a as a favorite today on a program about film music.
1: Right. Well, when we'll I would discuss this with my uh, um, our compatriots on the John Barry Appreciation Society, I always draw their attention to the way that piece finishes. And I, I, I point out to them it's worth following the, the line that the bass player plays because as the piece ends the bass comes down with the orchestra and it's a very clever piece of bass writing and bass playing and if you listen to it and you isolate the bass notes that the, the bass player is playing you'll you'll identify a completely separate tune and it's quite fascinating to listen to it and it needs to have a keen ear to listen to that particular part of it but that's the piece that really attracts me on that but of course as a single it's one of my uh, dare i say this word it's one of my favorite john barry seven tracks one of <laughs> okay. um and uh you know it's it's always been a um a good example of john barry's wonderful mastery of of melody
0: um, okay well, let's uh let's let's hear this for ourselves then. the Again, the uh, it's the John Barry Seven, but it is a a a cue written by John Barry, and it's called "Black Stockings." Let's have a listen. I'm curious. You were um, your formative years, for lack of a better way of saying it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: was was at the time of uh, of the Beatles and and okay. you know so a, a big explosion of of, of, yeah. of British rock and roll and rock and roll worldwide. And yet, you're taking yeah. an interest in f- film music. Did that? I know, did, you feel some, some, did you feel like a, some kind of a, an outsider, or was that is that uh, unusual?
1: I was a bit of an outsider, yeah, because in those days, I mean, people. Most of the young people, they were, you know, the females were always screaming at some pop, pop singer. Or, 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 I, I went to the old pop concert. I saw the Beatles in concert um, and several other artists at the time. Um, but for some reason, I, I tend to like instrumentals um, because in the 60s, uh, film themes were very popular. They regularly made the hit parade and sometimes even topped it. Um, And it was it was a great era to live through, not only for music, but just about everything. I think everything that that shaped the 20th century came out of the 60s. And it was a wonderful era to to live through. And I I started my teens in 1960. So I went through the whole period in my teens. It was fantastic, really. Um, And it it was without doubt the most uh, exciting era to live through where so many things took place. And musically, yeah. um, the pop scene was the biggest scene, obviously because there were several groups and bands and singers and so on that were hugely popular but i for some reason i always tagged on to the the instrumental side and of course in particular john barry and i was um, very keen i got hooked on this and I, I i followed this john barry roller coaster right through the 60s and i, I collected literally everything he did um and it got to it it was the nearest thing to an obsession you'll ever you, you'll ever find. Um, I, I just uh, I was hooked. I was totally it was a drug to me. I was just totally hooked, and I I, <laughs> I still have all those records I bought in the sixties now in my collection here. Um, you know, it's the soundtrack to my life, shall I say?
0: Yeah, no, I, I can relate to that. But you know, what I thought we would do is uh, let's shift gears a little bit and go in because you you did mention that there were some other uh, composers and and. Uh, cues that you liked mm. um, during this time that we're talking about too I would say the movie Bullet was kind of coming out at this time
2: oh, and there yeah, was a I,
0: cue from like that film you, you uh, chose called Shifting Gears and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what it is that you like about that particular cue yeah well I like the movie
1: uh, Bullet with Stephen McQueen but the Shifting Gears track came up with the uh, the, the car chase through San Francisco. And it was a wonderful example of how music can build a tension in the scene to, to where the climax comes, you know, the exciting bit takes place. And uh, it's a nice gradual workup. It, it starts off very steady, slow, and gradually gets more dramatic and then gets more frenetic as it gets towards the end. And uh, I, I think that was a masterful piece of scoring. It's a, it's a, it, it's a real favourite of mine,
0: yeah. And uh, Memory Serves, is that that Lalo Schifrin or who's the
1: composer? Yeah, Lalo Schifrin scored it. I think it came out about, I think the movie came out about 1968 or something like that. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, let's let's have a listen to this. I think most of our listeners will enjoy this. This is from the film Bullet. The cue is called Shifting Gears and it's written by Lalo Schifrin. you've kind of told us about when your connection with JB started, uh, John Barry. I'm talking about, but you also got uh, somehow involved with a lot of other people um, in film music. How did how did that all occur? Because you weren't really in the industry, and yet you were uh, making uh, contacts with uh, people.
1: That- I mean, uh, I worked in uh, in the print industry, and uh, towards the end of the 60s, I was working for a national newspaper called The Daily Mirror. Uh, well, The Sunday Mirror, actually. Um, and... At that time, uh, of course, the only way to find out about what John Barry was doing, um, which was my my passion, um, was to ring up either the film companies to see if there was an LP soundtrack planned of a particular movie he was scoring, or to go directly to the record companies themselves and and find out what was going on and what they'd got planned. Um, A lot of them at the various record companies got to know me by first name terms, um, (laughs) namely companies like uh, um, CBS which is in the States it's Columbia of course um, the independent label that uh, John Barry got signed to in 1963 and was an A&R man there called Ember, uh, I got yeah. quite well known there as well um, United Artists and, and, and Polydor uh, I got on uh, quite friendly terms with the press officers there so when there was something coming out uh, it got to a point uh, to later on where they called me and told me um, so it was quite nice. Um, and I found out that John Barry had a, an office um, in in London um, in a place called, near a place called Leicester Square in a street called Great Newport Street. And it was known as the Top Line Agency. And in Top Line Agency, there was a lady there that uh, looked after John Barry's and, and a few other people's affairs. She worked for John Barry's dad, to be, to be uh, um, exact. And her name was Zena Ackers. Now, Zena was a, um, a a lady that was um, she was the old school mistress type. She used to wear half rimmed glasses, and uh, you go into the to the office um, uh, up some stairs into the office, and there'd be a grand piano as, you, as soon as you walked in, and behind the piano was her desk, and on her desk was this old fashioned lamp over the top of a royal typewriter, and she'd be sitting there. Yeah typing out letters and envelopes and things and on the top of the piano was all the stuff that go in the post I don't was in it but it was all heaps of paper and documents and goodness knows what anyway I used to go in there and ask her because she used to tell me what John was doing you know and uh, uh, and one day I went in there it was about 1965 I went in there and I said to her so you know what's um what what's John up to these days She said oh he's doing this film she said I can't I can't tell you the, the name of it," she said, "and um, it's all secret." And on the top of the piano was this uh, copy of a, a, um, a film poster, and the film was King Rat, the the, the Brian Forbes movie about the, the uh, Japanese prison war camp. Okay, yeah. I said, uh, "Oh, it, it's not King Rat, is it, Tina?" She said, "Oh, you're not supposed to know that." She said, "How did you know that?" I said, "It's on top, I'm <laughs> in of the- I mean, fun, it." Um, and of course, she, she desperately got up, it and snatched it, and put it down. <laughs> Out the side, <laughs> you know. um, and, and so a like that. She was a, she was a lovely lady, and uh, you know, she'd always give me a call and say, I Just like that, you'd like to know John's doing this, and this comes out next month. And one of the things that completely threw me was that uh, I think it's about 1967 68, something she ran up and she said, Um, oh, God, he's doing this film, she said, with uh, Elizabeth Taylor in it. I said, Okay. Um, yeah, she said it's a bit, bit weird. I said, What's it called? She said, Go Forth. Oh, I said, Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, uh I started looking in the placards for this film called Go Forth and it never came out. But I did notice another film came out with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton in it called Boom. Right. Now, that was what Boom was originally called Go Forth. Huh. And original title and uh yeah that told me that i was looking for one title and of course the film came out behind me i didn't notice it come out called Ben. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah. Yeah, there you go I've got- <laughs> yeah,
0: let's let's play a couple of very uh cues that you chose for your list and we're going ahead in time a little bit to the 70s and the 80s okay and it's
1: interesting
0: it's interesting here too that um one of these cues is not from a film Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like Black Stockings wasn't and then one oh. is but, I, but I'd like for you to tell me and, but I really wanted to include it because it's actually one of my favorites as well Right, I'm talking about a cue called D- Downtown Walker okay, and the, yeah. the next one would be uh, the main theme from Body Heat tell me oh. a little bit about why you wanted to include those in your list of favorites
1: well I've always uh, known and always admired that John Barry had a wonderful skill for jazz he, he, he seemed to enjoy writing bluesy jazzy orchestral orchestral compositions yep. and i think that downtown walker for me is absolutely superb uh, I, I love that trombone solo in the middle and it just got that lazy rhythm that i, I just love um but going on to uh, body heat um that was a, a film which when it came out i went to see and i thought oh my god the scores phenomenal for this it's fantastic can't wait to get it on an lp and of course it never came out it, it didn't come out for many Offici- years. yeah no not not at all not officially until oh cracky. uh must be about 12 i think it's about 12 years before it came out yeah. um, like that. Okay. um and it really came out an lp um an lp that was paid at 45 rpm which is rather unique but um uh, it came out on an LP, and but it was always uh, for me one of one of the scores I really loved, and I was, I was aching to get it on an LP. We finally did, and of course later on we got the wonderful release from Film Score, the, the whole score, and a lot more. Um, and you know, it's always been yeah. one of the scores that I I like and love because it just demonstrates Barry's wonderful ability in in writing bluesy jazzy themes. i think he i think I, he had a little bit of uh, a, a, a soft spot for doing that sort of thing i think he enjoyed that i
0: think oh yeah no absolutely there's no doubt about it and you know i i, I truth be told every time i see a, a, a stunning looking woman walking on the sidewalk <clears> in <throat> my in my head downtown walker always plays <throat> you know what i'm saying like body heat. <laughs> 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 it's just, it's an uncanny how he really captured what that, you know, I could actually visualize with that tune, but let's let's let the music do the talking instead of us we're going to play two cues, one is called Downtown Walker, uh, that's from a uh, uh, an album called Americans which was not connected to a movie at all this was just a, a series of uh, things that he had wrote independently mm-hmm. uh, and then the uh, the next cue will be the main theme from uh, Body Heat, everybody's pretty much familiar with that and that's another classic piece of music Let's have a listen to both of them, and they're both written by John Barry. I noticed that, uh, of course, we played two examples that weren't, but I think they're the only two that are. Well, maybe there's one other exception, but it, it seems to me that you, almost everything that you chose was from uh, the 1960s. Is that, uh, is that where really your love lies, that it, 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 the, the product wasn't as good as time went on, so to speak? And I'm not talking about just John Barry, but, I mean, everything you chose, non-Barry stuff, too, was from the 60s. So I'm, I'm, I found that interesting. You can tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I think the era in which he really made his mark. And he made his mark really by being very versatile. If you, you start off by listening to the the earlier stuff with the, the, um, the Barry Seven orchestra, etc., at the start of the 60s, and then you go up to 1969, when we had things like The Nine in Winter and Midnight Cowboy, you get this wonderful um, uh, variety of styles. And one of the things that Barry was brilliant at in the 60s that you never quite knew what was going to come next? Because I can well remember uh, um, having Midnight Cowboy um, on a Majesty's Secret Service, followed by The Lion in Winter. And when The Lion mm-hmm. in Winter, everybody thought turned around and gasped. I thought, "My God, what's that? That's not John Barry, is it?" And it was. He he stunned everybody with that one, including me. Um, yeah. Because a classical, it's a more of a classical piece than anything else. And uh, but the the film still. Uh, it's still one of my all-time favorites. The movie, um, I just just love that script. I think yeah. it's phenomenal.
0: Well, what, one yeah. of the, uh, another non-Barry Q that you had chosen was uh from the film called The Big Country. I'm I, I'm guessing this is the main theme that you chose, and I'm I'm not as familiar with that. Who who, who was the composer for this? And then also tell us a little bit about uh, why that made your list of favorites.
1: Right, with well, the composer is a man called Jerome Moros. And it was a theme that came out in, I think, 90, about 1959, 1960. And it always got seemed to get requests to be played on um, the Quest programmes on radio. And one of the radio programmes was on a Sunday lunchtime. It was called Family Favourites. And the strange thing is, it, it nearly always got a play at least once, if not twice a month. It was quite incredible. It, it mm. On a regular basis, it was played on there. And it just got, I got hooked on it. And it's one of the film themes that really dragged me into film music i think um and you know it, it's it's a well-known theme i think if you uh, if you hear it i think i'm sure you'll
2: recognize it um it's,
1: yeah it's been recorded several people but it's a very popular theme. i don't think it won any awards i think it should have done as as i think the score should have done but i don't think it did but um it'd be sad in a way but one of those uh, I think, when in the sixties, there were some great scores being written, um, but sadly they they never won um, the awards. They never got the accolades that some I think lesser uh, scores do today.
0: Huh. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is the main theme from the film called The Big Country. Sit back and relax and enjoy. We'll get back to the program in a minute. I'm curious, are you enjoying today's episode and the 50-plus others that we've also produced? I hope so. And if you are enjoying it, I want you to consider becoming a patron of the show. By small monthly contributions as little as $3 a month, will make you an official producer of the show with some neat extras involved. I hope you'll check it out. You'll find it at patreon.com, and that's spelled P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. To find out about our our show and our uh, options for you, you go to patreon.com slash what's the score, which is all one word. Patreon.com slash what's the score. Please visit patreon.com.
1: I can tell you quite a little amusing story if you've got time for it. Okay. All right. I'll take you back to 1963 when he just signed for Ember Records and the man called Jeff Prugram arranged a, uh, a TV programme with the BBC to go out in midweek about seven o'clock. And it was going to be called Around Seven. Firstly, because it was at seven o'clock and secondly, because it featured seven musicians conducted by John Barry. And it's been done at the BBC studios in Sheffield Bush in London. And I went along and I thought, oh, it's going to be there. So I'll try and nip down there to see if I can get with a autograph or a chat or whatever, you know, being my group yourself as I was. You know, so uh, um, I went there and uh, the, the, the door to the uh, the actual stage where this was recording of this show was taking place was um patrolled by one of the one of these um commissionaires and we used to have a band of commissionaires in the uk with all these different places concert sort of halls, museums we used to wear a white hat and a, a uniform with brass buttons on their tunic you know and so on they're very they're ex-army people and uh this chap came up to me and he and i was looking through the door to see what was going on and he said then um, I said, uh, can I help you? sir? um, I said, well, yeah, maybe. They said, uh, what was it you wanted? I said, well, I understand that John Barry's doing something, yes. He said, he is. He said, there's no audience, he said, you can't, uh, you can't see it. He said, but you know, who are you? And I said, well, I'm just a person, and I'm just a fan, basically, you know. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, he said, you look a nice sort of chap, so I'll tell you what to do. He said, there's a little door there. He said, I'll turn my back. He said, you go in the door, go to your right. <laughs> Go up the top of the steps, and there's a little bench. He said, sit on the bench, sit in the corner, and get in the dark, and don't get seen. So I sat there, and then suddenly, as I was sitting there, all the lights came on, sound comes up, and it all starts off, and I'm sitting in a concert with, with John Barry, and who uh, was Chad Stewart and Jeremy Clyde, two recording artists from Ember. There was Annie Ross, who was a jazz singer. And there were seven musicians, uh, quite famous ones there. Tubby Hayes, a, a quite famous sax player. Um, John Scott, who, was, who is now quite a renowned film composer. Mm. And uh, a few other people, um, Kenny Clare on drums and so on and so forth. And a lady that played the harp. And she played the harp on loads of John Barry scores at that time. Uh, her name was Sheila Bromberg, and a uh, lovely lady. And um, uh, she played the harp. And I just sat and enjoyed the show.
0: Wow. That that must've been really, that's, that's, that's a neat story. That is a neat story. We're in a time period that you're talking about, that would be interesting to bring up a couple of cues that you chose as well. Right. Uh, that I'd like to play back to back because we're talking about kind of that same era. Uh, and, and one almost helped define the spy music genre, I guess. And the other one was kind of an unusual, uh, uh, film for for john barry yet i think he pulled it off great uh, the two films i'm talking about one is the Ipcrest uh, file uh, and uh, which is the the spy movie and uh, and the other one is kind of a comedy called the knack mm-hmm. and so i was kind of curious if you could talk to us about why you wanted to choose those two among your favorites
1: right well the eppress file um i just think that sound that that barry uh conjured up for that film the symbolum with a symbol uh, oh yeah each playing that was was quite unique i mean it, it it set a trend there were several other tv series spy movies but that sound used to start it started a trend and it became the spy music sound the symbolum and, and the alto flute and it, it when i saw the movie i i always as it was later acknowledged i always regarded it as somewhat of a masterpiece the way he set the mood over the main titles for for that film it just seemed to fit so perfectly and it was at that time it was a brand new sound and nobody had heard that and it was typical john barry it was unique and it was original he never copied anybody he always initiated things other people copied him um, but he never, never seemed to, to to copy. I mean, some people say that he got the idea from uh, the third man thing from Anton Carass, But I'm not sure about that. It's a bit, bit different. You know, that's never, as opposed to I suppose it's got similarities, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought it's, a, it's a direct comparison. But some people yeah. tend to, tended to think that. But uh, But it
2: it is
0: a unique instrument and a a unique sound that I think if our listeners haven't heard it before, they're going to enjoy that. And then also the knack. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that.
1: Well, the knack, um, to be honest, as a film, I just found it completely off the wall. Um, (laughs) It it was a bit strange. I mean, it's had some great cinematography and, and, and some wit in it, but to me, it was all... It, it, it was disjointed, and I didn't really understand. At that time, I thought, what on earth is this all about? But one thing that stuck out, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it when I saw the film at the theatre, uh, the thing that jumped out the screen at me the whole time was the score. I just loved it. And, uh, you know, it took me back to some degree, certain parts of that score take you back to the old, what we call string beat days, the, the days of um, the Adam Faith accompaniments, you know, Pitchcock yeah. and Xylophones and things like that, and it took me back a bit like that, and um, yeah, it was a it was a bit of a throwback. But I just like the that because it's got this nice, uh, easy flowing jazz style. Yeah, well,
0: certainly oh. it epitomizes the uh, swinging sixties of London, yeah. I guess, doesn't it?
1: With a wonderful melody as well. That's
0: yeah, famous. let's let's a have cool. a listen to these two. Then the uh, one is called the Epirus Files, uh, which was started uh, uh, Michael Caine. And the other one is uh, a film called The Knack and How to Get It, which was an award-winning film as well. Let's have a listen to both of these cues, and they're both written by John Barry. Another one of your non-John Barry cues that you uh, chose, which I am familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, I think is a favorite of a lot of people, the, not only the, the particular theme, but, but also the composer. I'm talking about the film called The Great Escape. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your choosing that one as a, as a list of favorites.
1: Right. Well, it's quite amusing, really. Uh, I was about 16 when I first saw that film. And I went out one Sunday night to see it on my own, believe it or not, at the cinema and uh i i always remember when i first saw it i saw it for the first time that night but the thing that hit me was that wonderful mark that elmer van steen wrote for the main titles and it stuck in my head from that day to this it's, it's always been there and uh, i can remember coming out of the cinema and, and i bumped into a, a schoolmate, and we had a chat and whilst i was having a chat uh the last bus to take me home had left
2: mm-hmm
1: oh dear i thought what do i do so it's yeah. about two and a half to three miles from home so i thought only one thing for it i've got a walk so i walked but i must have got home in record time because the, for the whole walk all i was doing was playing the great escape team in my head and marching along to it at the same time <laughs> it's quite funny because i always remember doing that and i'm thinking that's a damn good way to get home you've got to walk home you, you know because it's I was I was playing it in my head and I, and I was walking along you know in rhythm to the music you know it's yeah, yeah yeah it just got a special place in my memory and uh, but besides that I love the score and I love the film um, yeah. I still like the film now great in my collection and it's it's, a, it's probably one of the greatest war films that have been made
0: yeah um, I would I would agree with uh, that assessment well let's let's have a listen this is the main theme from the film called The Great Escape and it's written by Elmer Bernstein. If we were to fast forward in your life for quite a few years, I guess up to uh, the late 90s, mm-hmm. I, I know that you were, uh, I'd love to hear how this happened. Right. You somehow got invited to um, uh, two different recording sessions that John Barry was doing. One was for a film mm-hmm. and the other recording session was for one of his late, uh, later concept albums. Tell me, how did that come about? How did you luck out with that?
1: Well, uh, basically, uh, my lady wife Uh, was very influential with that Um, at that time in that year I celebrated my 50th birthday you can work out for my age now from that but anyway um, I celebrated my 50th birthday and my wife was a bit uh, um, can I say a bit too not confused but undecided about what to do for my 50th and she knew I had this wonderful passion of of John Barry's music and she knew really that I hadn't really met him as such on a a longish basis ever so what she did, she wrote to Abbey Road Studios because I found out that he was recording and doing the music for this film called Sweat From The Sea and um, she wrote to Abbey Road and Abbey Road wrote, wrote back to her saying that well it's not us you need to contact, it's actually the English Chamber Orchestra that he was recording with Hmm. Um, anyway, she wrote to them and I, she said, I've written to them anyway. And I said, well, I said, he's a very private guy. I, I can't really see, I can't really see, you know, in, 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 in inviting me in. Anyway, the next thing we know, uh, a lady at the English Chamber Orchestra who was a manager of the orchestra at the time, she said, she she written back to us, I've spoken with John Barry and he'd be very happy for you to come along and uh, invite, he's invited you to come along on the morning of recording and uh, and sit in, in the sound box with um, a guy called John Richards, who was John Barry's long- oh, yeah. long-standing engineer. Um, oh, wow. so, uh, yeah, um, so anyway, I, I turned up that day and um, checked in at reception and they took me down and sat me outside the sound box. And uh, then John Barry came, came in and he walked out to the podium to, I think, to put the score on the podium and set things up. And as he came back, he spotted me came across and he said oh you must be Ian and of course at that time you know you, you know, sometimes when you meet somebody you get sort of face struck and suddenly you,
2: you're
1: lost <laughs> for words. you, d- you don't know what to say and I, and I just I don't know why I mean, I'm annoyed myself really but I, I, for once in my life I was lost for words and, um, <laughs> and, and uh, anyway he came across to me and he said look I can't have a chat with you now he said but if you want to come in and sit with us and see what we do you're very welcome so I just said yes please um, so I went in and I sat just behind him and John Richards and, uh, and, uh, John Richards said "Look, when he goes out there to conduct, if you want to sit out there and listen, just go out and listen and come back in at the end of the take. So anyway, I, 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 did that quite a few times and, uh, um, that's, that's how I got invited into that. And whilst I was there.
0: Okay. Now I will, uh, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. I want to hear about, uh, Eternal Echoes, but, right. but after we play another cue, um, Another uh, John Barry composition that you had uh, chosen is, 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 again, another favorite of mine. It just blew my socks off when I heard it for the first time. And it was, you're right, about Barry's creativity and doing things different and, and out of the norm, especially in the 1960s. The film I'm talking about is The Lion in Winter. Oh, yeah. And it just has a, a spectacular score that was uh, got a well-deserved Oscar. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to uh, choose that as one of your favorites.
1: Well, I chose it just because it, it is one of my favourite movies that, that Barry scored. I thought the, as I said, I think I said earlier, the, the script is absolutely electric from start to finish. Um, it's spiteful, nasty, sarcastic. It's everything. It, it's it's just full of full of wonderful uh, one-liners, um, you know, uh, and and it's witty as well and beautifully acted. I mean, some of the, the cast in that the superb cast. Oh. Fabulously directed film, and, and, a re, and quite frankly, for a, a film that's set in just one location, um, quite an interior film, really, but it's set in one location, it, it kept you watching. It was fascinating. You know, the whole thing, the performance of the actors was wonderful, and, and, of course, the music, especially uh, the part from Eleanor's arrival when she comes down the, the river on a boat. You know, I'm well,
0: with our, if our, if any of our listeners have not seen this film, you are doing yourself a disservice. You yeah, need to yeah, to find it and watch the Line in Winter because it is absolutely spectacular. It's a, I think I would call it a dramedy. In other words, there is a lot of there's a lot of drama, but there's also a lot of comedy in it too. So it's, yeah. that's it's one guess. of those unique films that's that's really special. Well, yeah. that's
1: let's guess. let's have a listen. To, two I'm sorry. There's two versions of Line in Winter. There's another one that was made a little while ago, but you want to see the 1968 one. With Catherine oh, and yeah. Peter O'Toole. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so let's let's have a listen to this. This is the main theme from the film called "The Lion in Winter," and it's written by the maestro, John Barry. So you also had a chance to um, uh, visit another recording session. This was for uh, in his later years. He started doing, for lack of a better term, concept albums, Mm -hmm. although some people speculate these were from rejected scores and he just put them on a on an album anyway. But uh, so you were able to attend uh, some of that session, too. So how did, did that one come about basically the same way? Well, or was it something different?
1: No, it wasn't the same way. Uh, actually at the end of the sessions for *Fret from the Sea, I got quite um friendly. Um really I say I say quite friendly being a bit too blase really, but friendly with Laurie Barry, John's wife.
0: Oh yeah, okay.
1: So it was uh, when I first arrived at the studios that day, Laurie was very uh how can I put it, very inquisitive as to why I was there and how I got
0: Oh there. yes. I've had I've had my experience too, so yeah. I understand. <laughs>
1: Um, and there's nothing wrong with that and and she's once once i got over that she was fine and uh, she was sitting there i remember the day i went there she was sitting doing her knitting and she she made me a cup of coffee and made me feel very welcome and at the end of the session for for a threat from the sea she said well we hope to see you again ian and if you want to come in when john's next in london recording feel free to drop in and i mean mean, nearly fell through the floor to be honest um and so uh, at that time, um, I've had to put this in because it would make the connection a little bit clearer. Um, John's fixer, the guy that fixed up the orchestra for the English Chamber Orchestra, was a guy called Christian Rutherford. And Christian was the, uh, I think he's a grandson or great-grandson, I'm not quite sure, of Margaret Rutherford, the famous English actress of the 50s and 60s. And uh, he was a fixer for John, and um, I got quite friendly with Christian. I still am friendly with Christian. Um, and uh he he said well look he said um, when it, in that case he said if that what she said the next time he's in london i'll give you a I'll give you a call and you can come down so that's when i got the call about eternal echoes so i came in oh. and when i came in uh, i walked in and laurie said oh hi nice to see you again and what <laughs> you know, i was um, yeah i was just a little bit uh, taken aback to be honest but uh, it was very nice to be, to be welcomed like that yeah sure but
0: um yeah i I think the key to access to him was his wife. Uh, she was very much the gatekeeper and, and protective. And I you know and I understand that.
1: But John's, uh, a, nice, John's a nice guy when you when you met oh, him. Oh yeah. When and I tell you one thing, uh, the, the, the way uh, to have a nice chat with John Barry was to, to over a pint at the bar, uh, and he, he, he seemed to relax an awful lot when uh, when, there was a, when there was a drink. <laughs> you know, we,
2: yeah,
1: we had a nice chat. Uh, at the end of um, the session for Threat from the Sea, I had a nice chat with him with uh, with Don Black as well. Um, oh, wow, and uh, yeah, so at that day, I mean, uh, just, just to tell you what happens, it was quite incredible because uh, on the day I we went to see Threat from the Sea uh, recorded, um, Jane Seymour walked in, she was in London because I think hmm. she's got a parent to her son, I think, and uh, David Arnold came in. Uh, David Arnold came in with a guy called A.R. Rahman, who was at that time uh, the guy. Well, he just written the score for Slumdog Millionaire, the film, but he was working with Don Black on a musical called Bombay Dreams. And his mm. his idol, A.R. Rahman's idol, was John Barry. So Don Black brought him in to meet John Barry. So uh, yeah, so I met um, I, I met them, and uh, there was, uh, and then later on, believe it or not. Uh, just at the end of the day, only for about 10 minutes, in walked Michael Caine. So, uh, you know, uh, and passed a sort of sarcastic comment to, towards Mr. Barry, which, uh, which John just sort of brushed off. Um, and it was, it was quite, uh, yeah, quite amazing day because it suddenly out of nowhere, all these celebrities started turning up. It was quite awesome, really. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, and how, how, many, how many cues did they end up, uh, or tracks, how many did they end up finishing in the day you were there?
1: Which one? What do you mean, the film? or the? Uh,
0: well, let's, let, let's say Eternal Echoes. I mean, did they... Did, did he, you know, like we, did
1: about, we did about four. One of the tracks that I saw recorded was the one that, I, I trust you know what I'm talking about here, yeah, they did a program called Omnibus.
0: Right. Oh, okay.
1: And they show a beast, of, like, they show the uh, the recording of the piece called Slow Day.
0: Right, um, I know what you're talking about. yeah.
1: Yeah, and you, and you see him conducting it and the lady that uh, was playing the flute... That okay. shot i was there for that i, I remember seeing that and uh, there's a shot also in that where you came back to the control room the, the sound box and i was sort of behind the guy with the camera so i'm not on, i'm not on screen
0: yeah
1: yeah it's uh, well, not that not quite evident visually
0: yeah well let's um let's play another one uh another composition of john's that happens to be a not only a particular favorite of mine but my my wife adores this music all right uh and it's from the film called walkabout and the cue oh. is called together at sunset yeah tell us a little bit about uh, your choosing that as, as one of your favorites
1: well it was it was one of my favorites so uh, I, I i think that score is a, a absolute masterpiece it's wonderful it's a lovely listen and i remember seeing the movie and thinking the same and of course then we had to 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 put up with the disappointment again of not having uh, an album come out until some years later when a bootleg recording was produced somewhere or other mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously like luckily a year or two ago we had the um original soundtrack release which was um very very welcome but it was yeah isn't that
0: amazing how it you know all those years pass and all of a sudden the master tapes show up and Absolutely. someone decides to, to make a cd yeah, it's yeah. something
1: I don't know if they can find a few more, really. Uh, but it, yeah, um, yeah that, that was that was a film that, with a score that I just loved, and I, and I particularly when I did eventually get uh, a copy of the the vinyl release, that um, that particular track was I always think was was of an example of Barry's masterful uh, ability to to write a fantastic melody, I and mean, it's it, yeah. It's so so good um but one of many i have to say uh you know that yeah I, you know if you stopped me and said well how many do you think there are i could name you 150 at least if not more
0: yeah well, uh, let's 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 have a listen to this then this is again from the film called walkabout hmm. the cue is called together at sunset and once again it's written by john Barry. Well, Ian, you know, sadly, these days, obviously, John Barry's no longer with us. Are, are there any other composers that are working currently that you uh, that you that you like at all?
1: <laughs> you know, something it, it's quite uh, it's quite amazing, really. But I, my my long short answer to that is really no. Um I'm yeah,
0: very much- I'm, the, I'm almost the same way in a way, really. Yeah, believe I'm it or not, I'm very much in the tradition of
1: the the film composers uh, that have. Sadly passed on now. Um, I, I was quite an admirer of James Horner, and uh, of course, sadly, we lost James Horner some five years ago. Um, yeah. Quite a favourite of mine. i got quite a bit on his music. But you know, the, the reason for that, I'll give you the reason for it, Frank. Right? The reason is this I went to a seminar two or three years ago um, in London at the Angel Studios with some other members of the group. And uh, we met uh, David Arnold and Nick Rain and a, a few other composers, Christopher Young, et cetera, et cetera. And I made, a, but there were some questions that came from the floor. And one of the points that I made at that meeting was, these days with modern movies, they seem to omit what I regarded as the main titles, the credits at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. always the time when the composer had the chance to write a theme that was where the majority of film themes came from was the start of the movie when the when the initial credits came up right and now you're going to see a film and i want not give one in question um was dunkirk and it had the longest introduction i've ever seen it lasted the whole film and <laughs> to be honest um i thought how the hell does a composer write a theme in a film when there is no main titles to me, that's like writing a book and forgetting to put the front cover on. You know, mm. it's, it's, um, it's something that bugs me. And I think that is an obstacle to the majority of composers now. If you had that credit sequence, main titles at the start of a movie, as they used to, you get that chance for the composer to put something together musically, which
0: yeah. makes... Yeah, so I think that, that's a very observant point. Um, very much so. I think that's, that's spot on. Ian, I tell you, we uh, we're just about out of time now. I, I I can't thank you enough for for taking time to to join us today. Uh, I I've certainly enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. Oh, I have
1: indeed. I could have gone on for ages, Frank. Passion is obvious, that's for sure. Actually, thank you very much for mentioning them. one of
0: my one of my favorite people. I hate
1: mentioning. That oh nice. no,
0: my 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 pleasure, and uh, look, you know, I. I, I hope, hope that we can uh, meet in person one day. That'll that'll be a goal of mine, oh, I hope, here sometime uh, soon. Uh, yeah. So uh, that, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, okay. Let me remind you, if you're interested in some of the merchandise that we have with the, our logo on it, you can go to uh, redbubble.com and uh, find the – well, actually, it's frw007.redbubble.com, and that'll take you right to our store. Uh, and if you're interested in supporting the program as a patron – You can find us on Patreon.com. All our information about this is on our Facebook page, so I would encourage you to visit that. Uh, And with that, uh, there's nothing left to say except simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score.